Hey everybody, Tanner here coming to you from the editing booth. As Taylor and I were finishing up recording of this episode today, we realized that we forgot to thank our newest patron. So thank you, Allison, for choosing to support the show on Patreon. We really, really appreciate the support. Um, and the same goes to all of our patrons. Um, you know, we can't thank you all enough for what you do to allow us to continue making the show at a quality that we're really proud of. So thank you all for that. And we hope you continue to enjoy the show. And now on with the episode. Captain, but the captain isn't here. He's got his crew and all their luggage in a boat to disappear. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Breakers. My name's Taylor, and I'll be your host today. As always, joining me is Tanner. Tanner, how you doing? I'm so good. Good. I'm glad. It's uh it's good to be doing this. I don't feel like I have done one of these in weeks now. So it's it's nice to be here and having written something and you know got something to bring to this thing actually. I f- I feel like in like the umpire rotation, uh-huh. how after you're at home, then you rotate over to third. Yeah. That's what it feels like. <laughs> you finally uh, get a little rest. After the Estonia, which was It was grim. <laughs> grim. Yeah, it was it was tough to research. It was tough to read about. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was something. It's a, it, it this today's will be a little more fun, uh, a little more funny because uh, it just is. It's a little happier yeah. story at the end. But um, you want to know something that's not a happy story? What? It's whatever's living in my chimney. It is oh, very yeah. angry. It is it is pretty pissed off. Whatever it is. Do you and, have a uh, positive identification yet, or no? No, we don't know what kind of creature it is. Uh, the critter getter is going to be here Wednesday. So he will take care of that problem. Till then, I hope it uh, chills out and stops making the growling noises that it's making. I mean, it's that or it's like, this is sort of how all of those exorcist movies start. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm convinced that like every ghost story that involves scratching and sounds like that, it comes from an animal being in the chimney mm-hmm. or in like the walls or something, because this thing sounds evil. So I'm, I'm ready for it to leave. I believe the the scratching and growling. I believe that's in the obsession phase of the demonic <laughs> right. possession. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's fun. That's fun. Uh, what about you? What are you doing? Not too much. I'm off my game. It's weird because we, we're recording so late in the day. I think we've only I know, done this a couple times. So that's kind of fun. What have we been up to? Not really that much. I don't think the usual stuff. Uh, I got a new. Uh, I got a MacBook Air. I haven't had a new Mac product in a while. Uh, nice. Probably since college. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted something to use for, you know, writing and researching. So mm-hmm. I'm not tied to my office computer so much. Right. Um, so I can do stuff like watch the Brewers, uh, who have kind of been so-so. They've been better than the Reds. So what do the Reds have? Two wins? Uh, three? They, yeah. Two, three. It's not great. Ready for the NFL draft. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move on to football already. <laughs> That's something I did. I watched some USFL football today. I watched about five minutes of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I so badly want spring football to work, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. But um, other big news, the ever forward is moving forward, kind of. Yeah, finally. We finally got her unstuck. Yeah, all of the estimates that I saw from like people who know a lot more about those things were saying it might take even like a month or two. 
So that's cool. Got her unhooked. Yeah, I like that we have like a new spring tradition of like, you know, which one of their ships is going to get stuck somewhere. It's kind of fun. If they did like a fantasy shipping, we could, <laughs> we could do that and you could get you could get news points for ships to get stuck. I feel like you're really into this fantasy shipping idea. I think you mentioned it on Twitter the other day, didn't you? It's something that's been percolating. I mean, <laughs> I played fantasy Congress in high school. That was a thing. <laughs> you got points for like them being in the news and bills passed and bills sponsored. And then like if one of your congressmen died, obviously they'd get super news points for a couple of days, but then they'd stop earning points overall and their attendance would go way down. Mm-hmm. So like with the first overall pick, I select the Arthur M. Anderson. Yeah, exactly. Just to see, you know, <laughs> how are we going to score these points? Something we can work on um, <laughs> for sure by next shipping season. Sure. Well, let's do the thing we're here to do. Let's talk about a shipwreck. What do you think of as like the biggest qualities or qualifications for someone for being like in charge of a disaster scene or like evacuating a ship? You'd think there'd be some safety training, right? Uh, yes, safety training. Definitely a, a level of decisiveness, obviously, that comes from that training. You know, it's mm-hmm. you can make those decisions quicker if you know what decisions to make. That's yeah, probably like, what I would say. What if I told you that me and you are basically as qualified to do this as the person who's going to be like the main character of our story today. You play guitar. He plays guitar. His wife plays bass and I play bass. <laughs> so uh, we are equally qualified. Just keep that in mind as we tell this story today. We are not as qualified. <laughs> when is the last time you played bass? I'm curious. Oh, uh, it's been at least uh, two or three years probably since nice. I even messed with it. So Nice. That's probably not too far off from me with the guitar. <laughs> in theory, I know how to. <laughs> So let's get into it. Let's talk background here. Uh, We're going to be talking about the MTS Oceanus. A little bit of background on her. The Oceanus was launched on July 12th, 1952 as the Jean Laborde for Messagerie Maritime. She was 502 feet long. She had a 66 foot beam and a 23-foot draft uh, capacity for about 550 passengers, and she had a crew that consisted of around 250 people. So, you know, not uh, we're not talking about, like, the biggest cruise ship or anything ever, but this is still a pretty substantial vessel. It's, it's big. Evacuating it is, you know, it takes a lot of coordination and things like that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm curious to see evacuation procedures here, you know, compared to, you know, our last two weeks where evacuation wasn't even really an option. Right. Um, So she primarily served on the Marseille to Madagascar to Mauritius route until 1976, when she was purchased by Epirotiki Lines. Based in Greece. Epirotiki Line was a shipping company that was founded in 1850 with global reach, operating crews, tanker, and cargo vessels. So they do a little bit of everything. You know, they're not just a cruise line or something like that. They're mm-hmm. really engaged in all facets of the shipping trade. Mm. It is notable, however, for its less than stellar safety record. At one point, the company lost three of its cruise ships between 1988 and 1991. Now, these are the companies that keep us in business here. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is generating content for us before podcasts were even a thing. The Jupiter sank in 1988 after a collision with an Italian car ferry. So, I mean, who's to say who was at fault, right? I actually did read a little bit into this. I didn't mm-hmm. find too much about it. But for this first one, we could kind of say this is strike one 
I guess more of like a foul ball. I don't know right. the best baseball metaphor here, but um, it wasn't Jupiter's fault. <laughs> they basically got rammed by this other ship and they couldn't do much about it. So first time everybody gets one. Not a big deal. <laughs> Uh, the next one is the Pegasus. Uh, she partially sank in 1991 after catching fire. Then after that is the Oceanus, which we'll discuss today. So all of that happens in like a three-year period. But I also mm-hmm. found another blurb that said that, you know, it's all although not a sinking, an American passenger was crushed to death by an unsecured fire door on board the Neptune off of the coast of Crete in 1989. couple things here. Definitely want to secure those doors so they're not mm-hmm. swinging around crushing people. It was an American passenger, so there's a chance he was doing something he shouldn't have been doing and wasn't That's listening. True. That's very true. Uh, you, know, you never, who's to say? Once again, who's to say who's at fault here? But uh, maybe secure that fire door. That 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 would be big. I tried to find more details about that because that was a, I mean, morbidly fascinating incident. I couldn't really find a lot of details about how that went down. Yeah, I couldn't either. I looked briefly. Anyways, that brings us to 1995. When the line merged with Sunline to create a company that operated under the name Royal Olympic Cruise Lines. Uh, at first, the two brands maintained a separate identity and they planned to do a IPO in 1997. So they planned to go public and be a publicly traded company. What is an IPO? Uh, initial public offering. So, like the first offering of stock when you take a company public. Okay. The company would restructure its holdings in 1998 and create a new company that went by the name Royal Olympia Cruise Lines. Oh, baby. This company was listed on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol ROCLF. The company would finally fold in 2005. Its remaining ships were sold off. And uh, that was the end of the the company. But I just want to give a little bit of that background here to establish that we're dealing with a company that has some questionable business practices and clearly, like, there's some maintenance issues and some safety issues going on here. And I think that will only become more evident as we tell the story. The Royal Olympic to Royal Olympia is some Judean People's Front type action. <laughs> it's also like they're clearly just trying to play off of like the Olympia. Right. Or the Olympic. Sorry. I mean, in their defense, that is like the Greek thing. So I guess. That's right. Yeah. Acceptable. I mean, that's true. I guess if, if it belongs to anything, then it's it's yeah. theirs. But yeah, that's just establishing this company has some questionable operating practices. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, Well, let's move on and talk about the actual story of the Oceanus now. Story begins on August 3rd, 1991. Uh, She departs East London, South Africa, bound for Durban, South Africa. Uh, She's captained by Giannis of Varanis, who has 20 years of experience as an officer, and he's been at sea for over 30 that's an awesome name. It's very Greek. I love it. But yeah, this this guy has a lot of experience. He's not new to being in charge of a vessel. You know, he's the kind of guy that you want to work with because he's probably seen everything, right? Right. I think if I was pretending to be Greek and someone like called me out on it and said, "Okay, what's your name?" <laughs> the name I would make up is Giannis of <laughs> Faranis. So let's talk about the conditions. Um, as she set sail, they're less than ideal. Um, there's a sustained 40 knot wind and there's 30 foot swells. So you figure if it's sustained at 40, you're getting gusts into the 60s easily. 30 foot swells. I don't care how big of a vessel you're on. That's unpleasant. Not swell. Not swell. Those swells are not swell. So this put a damper on the normally festive atmosphere um, that accompanied the vessel, like when they were sailing and you know, departing and everything. Rather than hosting a sail away party, 
on the <laughs> exterior decks, as was custom. A smaller event was held in the lounge. However, it was pretty lightly attended. You know, not a lot of people are looking to get hammered on gin and tonics when they already want to throw up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like most people are just kind of hanging out, trying to not be seasick right now. Mm-hmm. So as the night progressed, uh, conditions continued to deteriorate. By the first seating for dinner, things had worsened to the point that waiters struggled to carry food trays and more than a few drinks were actually lost, you know, sliding off the tables and everything. So, you know, it's a bumpy ride. There's a lot of swaying back and forth. People really aren't having a great time on this cruise ship. And you have to remember, you don't think of this as like a transatlantic ocean liner. Like most of these people are kind of more on there as a vacation. So, I mean, you're, right. you're you want to enjoy your time on here. It's not just part of the, you know, you're not just trying to get somewhere. You're there to enjoy yourself and, and everything. At this point, we're going to go ahead and introduce the main character to our story. It's a man by the name of Moss Hills. Moss was an entertainer on board the vessel, along with his wife. He played guitar. She played bass. It's a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Moss had been born in Zimbabwe and had climbed his way through the music scene. And he was actually relatively successful before this. I found out about this story on a uh, BBC podcast that I'll link to in the show notes. And on there, he kind of goes into some detail about that. Uh, But it suffices to say, like, some of his music had been played on, you know, South African radio and things like that. He was a, a, you know, as one does being a musician, you kind of work your way through all these things. And he had been doing pretty well with it. He noted that sometime after 7 p.m., he went into the lounge area to check on his equipment. Um, He mentions that a few of the speakers were shaking around and he actually ties those down. Kind of like he says, trying to be pretty discreet as to not, you know, you don't want people wondering what you're doing or that, you know, you're, you're, you know, worried about something. But, you know, he secures his equipment, make sure everything's safe. It's for the acoustics. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have to zip tie this for the acoustics. <laughs> so after the show, he makes his way to his cabin. Uh, on his way, he saw some of the ship's security personnel racing towards the aft <laughs> section of the ship. That's always a little, you know, a little sus. You don't want to. No racing. See no racing for the crew. That's kind of like if you see like a flight attendant run towards the cockpit and you're just like, hmm, well, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> um, Hills follows them uh, to the crew stairwell and witnesses crew members racing towards the lower levels. And uh, it's clear that they're soaked. Some of them even have life jackets on. <laughs> no one else seems to be aware that there's an issue, but the crew has life jackets on. It's noted that a few, uh, there were a few officers who were trying to calm the situation, but overall, it seemed like it was pretty chaotic and sort of an every person for themselves type thing already. Hmm. Uh, seeing this, Moss ran back to his cabin and alerts his wife, Tracy, that uh, there appears to be a problem and that they may have to abandon ship. I think that's great on his part to go ahead and assume like, hey, if the crew has life jackets on, like clearly we need to think that this is a possibility because I don't think... Not just, I don't think just the average person is necessarily going to, you know, make that connection in the heat of the moment. After that, they make their way back to the lounge to check on his equipment. You know, at this point, you're still thinking like, you know, I'm going to grab my guitar if we're just going to, you know, walk off of this vessel. You want to make sure you have your stuff. Well, Um, and as we as we saw last week, even if there is a ship sinking, people are going to steal stuff. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Grab your guitar, man. (laughs) Um, He notes that it was dimly lit in the public areas of the vessel. And that the emergency lighting was on, but that was really only in like the public areas. Uh, at this point, it's around 10 p.m. And almost all of the passengers were had already been gathered in the main lounge awaiting a show that had been scheduled for that time. So it's kind of fortunate that most of the ship is kind of gathered in one place. Mm-hmm. However, once the lights go out and that emergency lighting comes on, there's a general sense of alarm and worry. 
tables and chairs and glasses are being thrown around. Like it's clear that it's not getting better. Whatever that problem is, is not getting better. Mm -hmm. Sensing the building tension, Moss, along with another entertainer by the name of Robin Boltman, begin to play acoustically on a dimly lit stage. And this is a quote from Moss. We only had the dim glow of the emergency lights, but I played acoustic guitar and sang every sing-along I knew. He follows that up by saying, Tracy joined us and we kept going as best we could. In between songs, passengers kept asking what was happening, and we reassured them. Eventually, we ran out of merriment and we went to find out what was happening. <laughs> so, so you can see like he takes control of the situation by just doing what he's there to do. You know, he's mm-hmm. there to play guitar and entertain. Right. And in that moment, he feels like, you know, I can at least control this by doing that, which good for him. That's a, right. it's a great way to keep people calm and kind of their attention somewhere else. Yeah. Bad time to roll out. Sugar, we're going down. <laughs> this is yeah, this is a fallout boy free cruise. Speaking with the cruise director, Moss learned that the captain had stated there was a problem with the engines and that everyone should prepare to abandon ship. When directly asked if the vessel was sinking, the captain replied, no, it was just an engine problem. (laughs) Moss was not convinced that the captain was telling the truth, and he went below to find out for himself. Yes, the problem is that the engine is sinking along with the rest of the ship. Brace yourself for the next part, because it might be my favorite detail in the entire story. Accompanied by magician Julian Butler, they went to the aft section of the vessel and entered a crew-only area. Just keep in mind, this is a guitar player and the ship's magician leading this charge. All right, so a guitar player, a bass player, and a magician walk into a cruise ship. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The men were pitched around in the dark stairways uh, when they entered this area, and this whole area is covered in oil and grease. But they noted that it was dry and that there were no signs of water. They moved forward until they came to a watertight door that had been closed. Not wanting to risk opening the door, the pair decided that it was time to go back up and talk to the cruise director about what they had seen. By the time they reached the lounge area, some of the crew had already prepared lifeboats by lowering them into their loading position, and they were preparing to board them. The crew are getting in the lifeboats? Yes. Moss notes that there was a seemingly large percentage of crew entering these lifeboats, senior officers among them. Obviously, you'd expect some crew to man these boats. Obviously, mm-hmm. someone has to operate them. There has to be someone in there. Uh, it's it's the light toller effect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from of Titanic fame, like you know, you, you someone from the crew has to survive to operate mm-hmm. the boats, right? At this point, there had not been any public address announcements about the situation, and no direction had been given to the passengers. Uh, the captain stated that they were not taking on water and were only launching lifeboats as a precaution. Moss states. <laughs> There were no officers around, and the captain seemed more like a spectator. I was now very suspicious, and taking my video camera with me, I decided to check again if we were sinking. <laughs> and I think, keep that in mind, that's kind of cool that he has a video camera. Like, this is pre-smartphone. Um, what year is this happening? Nine, 91. Okay. So, this is, uh, you know, that's a pretty big deal. You have a bit one of those big, like, shoulder-mounted VCRs. I have, it looked like he was carrying a javelin around that place. Yeah. I think this is great that they're just the whole crew just uh, bundling into these lifeboats as a precaution. Uh, pay, pay no attention to the man in the lifeboat. Uh, can uh, you imagine like being a, a person on the ship and just seeing all of the crew getting in? Like, hey, hey, kind of looks oh, like you kind of looks like you're looks evacuating. Like you're yeah, but yeah, I think there's no general announcements made. Everyone's just kind of watching this unfold. 
So Moss has his video camera. He decides to go below again. And as he's going down, he can hear the sound of flowing water. That's not great. Upon turning a corner, he could see the source of the sound. The deck was flooded and the vessel was sinking. Hmm. Imagine just rounding a corner like in the bowels of a ship and there's just water. That, That can't feel good. Oh, I do want to go back to something just a little bit up that you said about uh-huh. uh, the uh, finding that watertight door, uh, yes. but, you know, not wanting to risk opening it because of what might happen. Yes. And I think this is better way to deal with that uh, than what we saw on the Neuronic, where we think, oh, there's something dangerous behind this door. So we should open Let's it open and it. see what it is. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was probably a good decision to not <laughs> not open something that you don't know what's on the other side of. Mm hmm. Uh, so at 1 a.m., Moss, you know, very smartly has brought his video camera with him. He begins to record uh, the flooding. The footage ends up being, like, super important in all of the investigation. Um, it's extensively used in the official investigation and in subsequent television productions. However, as he's doing this, a crew member who Moss is actually familiar with and had been pretty friendly with is pretty agitated when he runs up on him and says, you have to stop filming. You need to put that camera away right now. You shouldn't be here. Moss drops the camera to his side, but like any, you know, smart, (laughs) interested person, he keeps it rolling. While being herded back upstairs, the crew member denies seeing any water and keeps stating that he should not be filming in the area that he's in. Hmm. Upon arriving upstairs, Moss tells the others that the captain and his officers cannot be trusted and the ship is taking water. You know, they they sense that this isn't right. What's going on is not right. And, you know, the crew can't be trusted. There's a major issue and no one's going to help them. I am you the know, captain now. I am the captain. Now look at me. I'm the captain now, is what he said. That has to be a pretty big realization. Because like, there is a certain moment in your head where it clicks like, no one's going to save me. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. So they quickly organized the other entertainment staff and assigned various roles for the entertainers to assist passengers with. He said that there, at this point, there's a growing sense of anger towards the crew and particularly the officers for abandoning ships so quickly and the general inaction that's shown by those that remained on the vessel. Mm-hmm. Basically, everyone becomes a spectator at this point. Moss stated that at this point, he knew that they were fully in charge of the rescue operation. He begins to work through various obstacles, such as jammed doors, open voids, and an increasing list. Moss and his entertainers were able to contain and organize passengers, and they were able to help those who needed assistance. So basically, they're trying to get everyone organized at this point. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, passengers stopped asking about what was going on and where the officers had gone. It appears that they had accepted the fact that there was going to be no formal instruction. Mm -hmm. From this point on, every passenger Moss encountered cooperated fully and looked at him as an authority figure. So, you know, people begin to realize that, like, this guy is taking over even if he doesn't mean to like he's the one who's organizing things Mm -hmm. around 3 a.m there's actually only one lifeboat left to launch the lifeboat has a capacity of 99 people however it only had around 50 loaded into it as soon as the last officer in that area was aboard they ordered it to be lowered (laughs) moss and the cruise director argued with them and managed to delay them long enough to load 20 more people on board So they're literally, you know, a guitar player, the ship's guitar player is arguing with an officer about 
to you know when they should launch a lifeboat and he's able to get more people on there like just talk about like the height of unprofessionalism and mm-hmm. you know just in a in a you know certain jobs i just feel like more is expected and you know being an officer on a cruise ship is one of them like you're not supposed to be comfortable if there's something like this going on you should be saving people yeah like it it's it is a high stress high pressure situation you know just like any any sort of uh, scenario like this, you know, whether it's a, a flight crew in an airplane or this any time where you're working with passengers who don't have the same mm-hmm. uh, training or knowledge as you, it's like, yeah, you have that responsibility to assist as you can first and put them a- ahead of yourself. Also, I guess I was surprised to see Lifeboat had a capacity of 99. Yeah, don't think like Titanic Lifeboat. Think mm-hmm. more of something more modern. You know, like the kind of thing where you can walk into it and there's actually seats and it's covered. Mm-hmm. Think like, have you seen have you seen the Captain Phillips movie? I know we've referred to it. I've never watched it, but I've oh. seen like I've seen like the more modern lifeboats that they have, like on like on cargo ships and stuff where it's more of a pod. But I guess yeah. I was just surprised to have that that you could have that many people in one. That's cool. Yeah, they're they're bigger than they seem today, at least. So the situation now is even more perilous. There's still around 220 people on board with no more launchable lifeboats. Moss went below to see how much more of the vessel had flooded. When he approached the ship's dining room, he could hear water sloshing back and forth. That can't feel good to hear. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't imagine. It reminds me of the thing from last week with the cabins and how the one survivor, you know, could hear, you know, trickling pouring water above their heads Mm -hmm. in the cabin. Um, So looking at the area, he saw a totally chaotic scene. Tables, chairs, plants, they're all being tossed around. They're pitched about. He's just watching this water flow from one side of the room to the other. That's got to be crazy to see. Like that. mm -hmm. I know we say it every time, but like you have to feel like you're watching a movie in that moment. Mm -hmm. Moss returned to the upper deck, troubled by the knowledge that most of the ship was now flooded. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Upon his return, one group of passengers asked multiple times for Moss to check on one of their friends who had not been seen since the ordeal began. The entertainer had purposely not allowed passengers to go below as he didn't want to induce panic and he didn't want people to be separated. You know, he didn't want to have to go rescue someone multiple times or find someone. He was very clear that everyone needed to stay where they were, but this group hadn't seen their friend infringing on my freedoms is what he's doing there (laughs) as an American. And it's sort of ironic. He said like, I didn't want them to know how flooded the ship was. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny that like, that's an okay thing. Like the crew not wanting to tell the passengers that makes sense if you're trying to solve the problem. (laughs) But if you're doing nothing but saving yourself, like that's pretty underhanded. Yeah. It's like, you're so close. You're almost there. Just take that one extra step. Right. Like, it makes sense not wanting to have 500 passengers panicking on your ship. I get that. Mm -hmm. But have a plan. So the group was persistent enough that Moss made his way to the cabin. And he actually finds a 20-something young woman alone in the dark, almost unaware of everything that's going on. Like, she just thought someone would come for her, like Mm -hmm. a crew member, or someone would tell her that, you know, she needs to get up. He did say, like, one interesting note, something that he made mention of, um, and again, definitely listen to the podcast where he talks about these kind of things. And I'll link to his website as well, where he goes into so much more detail. Mm-hmm. One thing he worried about was being a, you know, 30 something year old man knocking on the door of a 20 year old woman's, you know, room in mm-hmm. the dark while the ship is sinking. Like, you know, he's worried about her even answering the door. Right. 
you know, you just don't know. She doesn't know what his intentions are at that mm-hmm. point. Like he said, he remembers specifically being really concerned that she wouldn't come out. Although mm-hmm. she did. Right. It's just interesting that even in that moment, he had the wherewithal to think about something like that. Mm-hmm. It's um, kind of a good indicator of how uh, some of the cut and dry decisions that like, oh, well, of course you would leave. Of course you would go with this person who's trying to help you. But it's like there's so many more factors in play right. uh, in, in a chaotic situation like that. Right. So after returning the woman to her group, it was decided that passengers should be moved out of the lounge and onto the open deck. Yes. <laughs> right? Go to the open deck. Uh, this would ensure that no one would be trapped inside if the vessel went under. You're giving yourself a chance, at least. That's the way I look at that. Like, you would, if you can get into the water, like, you mm-hmm. at least are extending the amount of time that you have. Yeah, that's that, that's that first bottleneck. We talked about the series of bottlenecks uh, with the right. Estonia and how, like, that's, that's a massive one if you can just get out of the ship. Right. So, while Moss had been having all of his adventures running around the ship, the cruise director and another performer had made their way to the bridge. The cruise director returned and asked Moss to come back with her. This is almost like a Call of Duty game where you keep, you're just given assignment after assignment and you're like mm-hmm. the only one doing anything. That had to be how this felt. It was like, hey, keep doing this. Go do this. Just go imagining do this. like, like the cruise director being like, hey, you did such a good job handling all those passengers. Um, have you ever steered a ship? <laughs> just wondering if you know how. So when he arrived on the bridge, he's shocked to see that there's there's no one there. It was completely abandoned. <laughs> the group grabbed the radio phone and attempted to establish contact to anyone listening and repeatedly calling for a mayday. So, hey, that's actually better than the Estonia's crew did. Yeah. They called mayday. Um, they were able to establish contact with multiple vessels. However, they were not able to provide them with the technical information that they requested. Moss set out to find the captain so that he could assist in this process. Imagine you're on the bridge and you have to go find the captain and you're not even asking him to do it. You're asking Mm -hmm. him to tell you how to do it. And he's still, you know, is nowhere to be found. (laughs) That's amazing. So he's able to find him on the pool deck with other passengers, generally keeping a low profile. He was actually smoking under a set of stairs and refused to return <laughs> to the bridge. He's he's just he's just having a cigarette under the stairs. He's listening to My Chemical Romance. <laughs> he's drawing in his diary. I can't imagine. Like if I was him, I'd have been taken off. If that's the choice you're making, you better take that uniform off because if people figure out who you are, like it might not end well for you. Yeah. <laughs> So returning to the bridge, Moss spoke with the captain of the vessel Mauritius, a Captain Detmar. Captain Detmar is extremely supportive and reassuring, although at first he's really puzzled as to who Moss is and why he can't give him the information that he needs. Because obviously, if you're talking on the ship's radio, you're part of the bridge crew and you should know what you're doing. This uh, this captain's really dumb. <laughs> Finally, Captain Detmar inquires about his rank. <laughs> to which Moss replied, he was just the ship's guitarist. <laughs> I mean, you have to think someone's playing a joke on you almost, right? Like, you <laughs> from that point on, Captain Detmar continues to be even more encouraging and giving assistance and advice the best he can while not being on the ship. So the captain of another vessel is giving him advice about what to do and, you know, things like that. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. All right, so the, the, there's a handle on your right. That's like your C chord. That's your that's your rudder, okay? Stick to that. He only talks to him in guitar metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to touch that. That's the E minor. Don't touch it. Halfway through, Moss is just like, I can do things other than play guitar. Mm. 
All right, so at 4 a.m., Captain Detmar inquires about how long the Oceana has left afloat. Not knowing the answer and wanting guidance, Moss spoke to the captain of Oceanus for the last time. He was able to get a response of two to three hours from the captain, but he still refused to return to the bridge. (laughs) So he probably literally just said two to three to make him go away. Like, I'm assuming he just gave him an answer. The group of entertainers stayed on the bridge until the final rescue helicopters arrived at 6.30 a.m. There was someone on the bridge from that group. They kind of split up. Some of them do different things and assist in the rescue. But uh, once the first helicopters arrive at 6.30, that's when they finally leave the bridge. That's pretty impressive that they manned that for two and a half hours, basically. Mm. So upon the arrival of the helicopters, the cruise director went to check on passengers on the rear deck while Moss moved his way forward, accompanied by his wife. After consulting with the Navy rescue divers, it was decided that one helicopter would work the rear section while the other would work the forward. So two helicopters are both working the scene and they're each able to lift two people at a time. The passengers would split into two groups of roughly the same size and be sent to one end of the ship or the other. So that's pretty smart. You know, you're you're doubling how quickly you're able to do this by separating and giving enough space for two helicopters to operate at one time. Moss noted that he found it difficult to run the forward rescue station. The angle of the deck was so steep and it only, you know, increased in steepness that he actually had to grab a rope, tie it around his waist and tie himself off to the ship's port side railing. Hmm. So he's, you know, he's tied off just to make sure he doesn't slide into the water. At this point, do they know like what has happened or how much uh, obviously it's listing really badly. So like mm-hmm. they're not taking their time, but like, do they even have any concept of what's happened or how much time they have left? Not really. I mean, I think somewhat, I mean, they know they don't have a lot if the captain mm-hmm. tells them two to three hours and you know, the, the clock's ticking, Right. but yeah, they don't actually know. Okay. So like aside from the captain's sort of like just throwaway comment, there's really uh-huh. no okay. No, like yeah, they don't have any idea. Like basically they're just trying to get off as quick as they can. Maybe they hit a NATO submarine. That <laughs> yeah. seems to yep. be the theory for everything else. <laughs> it, it sure does come up a lot, doesn't it? Some passengers were beginning to get a bit panicky as that list increased. Um, however, this situation is actually controlled by Moss's wife, Tracy. She actually stands firm and shouts down a man who tries to push past other people. So, you know, his wife is definitely getting in on the act as well, like literally not taking, you know, anything from any of the passengers and keeping them in line. So Tracy would also organize the remaining passengers and ensure that the few remaining women were the first to get off, followed by the oldest male passengers. So she's really the one that's in charge of doing all the staging at this point. Mm -hmm. The passengers were staged in a way that Moss was able to signal to Tracy and she would send two passengers at a time to him and when it was their turn to be rescued. So he's basically the one that's interacting with the line that the helicopter drops down. He's making sure that two people are getting attached and they get lifted up. She sends him two more. So they just keep doing that over and over and over. This is the best rescue or this is the best evacuation procedure we've seen on the show and they just made it up like on the spot. Pretty much. He notes that the operation was extremely efficient and it helped knowing that both of them could trust each other at any moment. Like Mm -hmm. he never doubted her. She never doubted him. And they both just operated as a team. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes that almost shows you that familiarity might be more important than actual formal training. If we've both been formally trained, but I don't know you and don't know what Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a lot less likely to trust you. Whereas in this case, 
you know, if he tells her something, she's going to do it and vice versa. Well, this goes along with something I've thought for a long time, and it's that a ship's crew should all be married to each other in a large (laughs) nautical polycule. (laughs) So after the last passenger was evacuated, the cruise director and her assistant told Moss that they were getting off the vessel. They went to the bow, and they were able to enter the water and be picked up by a rubber inflatable immediately with the rest of the entertainers who had been assisting in the rescue. So there's a rubber inflatable that the Navy's been using to rescue, you know, people that fall into the water because that was happening. They just get into that basically and get off the vessel. This had actually been part of the, the Navy's rescue plan that had been drawn up with the help of the ship's magician. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that rescue plan? Is it behind your ear? <laughs> So Moss would be the last person to be pulled off the vessel. This stands in a very stark contrast to the captain. What helicopter do you think the captain took? First seems like too ridiculous. I don't know. Like the I, I'm third, only assuming fourth. he didn't take the first. Because it would have looked bad. <laughs> I don't even think he cared about that. I think he didn't take the first because there just must have been too many people in the way to get to it. Because he definitely got onto the second helicopter. The, oh, <laughs> I was gonna say he'd be he'd be the first uh, first guy that the Coast Guard ever like shoved off of a helicopter. Get back out there. <laughs> Moss made a note that the second helicopter arrived about two and a half hours after he asked the captain how long the ship had left. If you'll remember, that window was between two and three hours. Yeah, I think that tells you all you need to know. He knows his stuff. All right, so. That's the basic story of the incident. Let's talk about a little bit of the aftermath. Uh, Captain Everanus was absolutely lambasted in the media for his conduct. You're going to love his defense. I'm going to read you a quote here um, about why he said he did what he did. Okay. There's a few good quotes in here, actually. Mm -hmm. First, the batteries on the crew's walkie-talkies had died, meaning that he had no communications with his crew or with other rescue craft. Hmm. Now that's a trick they learned from the NYPD. (laughs) Uh, Additionally, he is quoted as saying, when I order abandon the ship, it doesn't matter what time I leave. Abandon is for everybody. If some people like to stay, they can stay. Yes. That, Uh. that might be my favorite quote we've ever had (laughs) on this show. And it's like, the opposite of anything. I said abandon ship. And that's <laughs> what I'm doing. I literally, I couldn't believe it when I read that quote. Um, yeah, he's pretty much like, well, I said abandon. I, I don't know what you're. I'm not going to disobey my own order. That would look terrible. What would the passengers and everyone think? <laughs> he, along with five other officers, would be convicted of negligence by a Greek board of inquiry. So they are convicted you know of basically just being poor officers Mm. not not controlling a situation and banished Uh, to the persian empire (laughs) so this story is uh often compared to the costa concordia Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons i don't know i haven't dug too deep into costa concordia surely they did better than this like surely they did they at least organized the evacuation in that case like definitely negligence on the the captain and mm-hmm. I know he got off of the vessel before, you know, a lot of other people did. But like in this story, there's no organized evacuation. 
like this and the Estonia are basically the same thing and they play out mm-hmm. so differently. It's very interesting. Certainly having someone take charge of the situation like this mm-hmm. is, you know, part of it. And there's other factors. The weather in this case isn't quite as bad when it's all going on. It's warmer, things like that. But overall, like without his actions, I don't think that many people survive this. Yeah, I mean, the the time element certainly is different for this one because we saw with Estonia how that was, you know, basically in the span of a half hour, it went from nothing wrong to basically unescapable. Um, Right. Whereas here, it seems like you have a, a little bit more time you know, that two to three hour span. So that's huge. But yeah, it's like having someone who's there to take charge, whether they're a crew or not, if they're, you know, willing to take on that responsibility and are able to execute it, then that's a game changer. For sure. A um, couple things I want to kind of shout out here and kind of point people in a, in a direction here. If you want to hear more about this, oceanussinking.com is a, a great source for information on this. Cool thing about that is there's a lot of pictures and things from the event actually happening. A lot of good interviews with some of the people we talked about today, including Moss. It's wonderful. Like it's, it's, that, I would highly um, encourage people to look at that. Is that the website that's actually run and kept up by um, yes. Moss Hills? Yes. Yep. Okay. He, he does. He keeps that up. It's great. I would go there. Um, another thing, another podcast I want to mention is called Life Changing with Jane Garvey. It's actually a BBC podcast. That's where I first heard about this. Uh, I would highly encourage everyone to check that out. It's great. You get to listen to Moss talk about this thing uh, for like 30 minutes. It's really cool. It's so interesting hearing someone go through their thought processes and you know what they're thinking as this is going on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lastly, our intro music for the day. Do you want to shout that out? Uh, yeah, that's the song... Oceanos by the band Coast. They have some very cool music to check out. And so we wanted to feature them because it's a very cool song. Something I wanted to comment, you know, the episode of Seinfeld where George is at the birthday party, right? And and there's a fire and (laughs) he flees the scene. That's the first thing I thought of when I was reading (laughs) uh, about this. And I think it's very interesting. He runs from the fire and... (laughs) When he's when he's talking to like the firemen and all the people outside, he says, I was trying to I think he says I was trying to lead the way Uh, I was trying to, you know, like lead and and show I had to make sure that the exit was clear. And so he's like shoving these little kids out of the way. (laughs) And so then he says, you know, I'm the leader as the leader. You know, if I die, who would lead the clown? (laughs) And this uh, story shows us that, in fact, the answer is yes. Yeah, uh, yeah if, the ship's if, entertainment staff. If the leader is incapacitated, an entertainer or entertainers will take over and, in fact, lead the way. So <laughs> that's a long-standing question uh, that we we can answer here today. Yeah, for sure. It's nice doing a more fun story. I mean, at the end of the day, the story you can kind of laugh at it a little bit. Everybody makes it, so that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, they're they're refreshing to do stories like this, and obviously, it's. It's only really a humorous story because of, like you said, of, of how it ends um, with, you know, no one, no one killed or uh, I mean, was anybody injured that, you know, of? Uh, I'm sure that there's some injuries in here. Um, and um, I'm sure there's uh, not to say that there's no, you know, mental trauma, PTSD. I was going to say, I'm sure um, that there's some PTSD involved here. I'm sure, sure that is that is the case. But yes, I mean, compared to some of the stuff we usually cover, this one is there. there's some opportunities for lightheartedness, I think. Sure. 
Um, so yeah, if you're still listening at this point, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll go ahead and just say, if you do want to interact with us, check us out on Twitter at beyond underscore breakers. Instagram is beyond the breakers podcast. Email us at beyond the breakers pod at gmail.com. And if you uh, feel the, the urge, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash beyond the breakers show will always be ad free money from the Patreon just goes back into making the show. Uh, they paid for these nice mics that you're hearing right now. Mm-hmm. Our voice sounds way better uh, than it did for the previous few episodes. Yeah. So give us a little support if you uh, are able to, it's always appreciated and never expected. So, and uh, I'll just throw in, uh, yeah, we love interacting on Twitter, Instagram, Twitter is probably our most active uh, place that we are. Instagram, we post quite a lot there. A lot of people send us messages on Instagram. We've gotten a lot of great stuff there. Just a just a, a warning, I will say, if you've messaged us on Instagram and you haven't gotten a response, <laughs> it's because Instagram is terrible at like notifying you that you have a message. Yes. And so very often we miss them. So I'll see stuff sometimes on there that's been sitting for two days with no response. Um, so yes, we apologize if if you're you know waiting on a response and it's, it's something you really want. We we try to respond to everything. Um, that we see, you know, on Instagram and on Twitter. And it's pretty much, I'd say 50, 50 on who you're interacting with. If you're, yep. you if never you're interacting know. with us on there, sometimes we sign our messages and sometimes we don't. So it's a crap shoot, but <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you everybody for listening. hope you guys have a great week and we will be back next week with a, uh, another adventure at sea.